0: It is the Investor Happy Hour. Mike here, and as always joined by Lance. Each week we talk about important investment topics that you need to know. This week we're uncovering the results of our Twitter poll, diving into WeWork IPO 2.0, and also answering all of the listener questions that have just been blowing up our inbox. Let's do this. Lance, let's get right into it. We're going to talk about our Twitter poll today. We released that last week. A lot of results there, a lot of information. So let's share it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're coming up to the end of the first quarter of 2021. And we look across the stocks, which are in the technology space. And across the board, some of these stocks are down between 25 and 50%. And that can really test your conviction in those particular names so we we sent out a twitter poll and asked what are you doing with your portfolios today with these stocks being down so much and interestingly enough 66.3 percent of the people responded that they are buying the dip and i think that makes a lot of sense but mike what are you doing with your portfolio in this situation
0: yeah i'm i'm a buyer because as we know it's just impossible to time the market. So I continue to average into my highest conviction stocks because I know over a longer period of time, I'll generate consistently higher returns on my capital.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think stocks are still the best game in town relative to some of the other asset classes. And the poll actually kind of lines up with a couple of Bank of America sentiment indicators. They had a couple of indicators come in around 72% bullish and across the board in terms of equity flows, equity market breadth, technicals, etc., it's all pretty bullish. So I think our Twitter poll is is really interesting and kind of in line with the market. Yep, totally. No, I'm with you. I think
0: given the other two options, which were hold tight or you're selling and raising cash, I think those alternatives just aren't as good. Because as you mentioned, I think over a longer period of time, I think people are focused not on what happens in the next month or two months. I think they know it's tough to time the market, so let's just see what happens over the next five to 10-year period, rather than thinking days, weeks, or months.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think we're on the same page there, and it seems like the market is kind of betting on, on a similar standpoint. So let's move on and talk about the upcoming WeWork SPAC. Mike, are you a buyer or are you going to avoid WeWork?
0: Before I answer that question, let me say two things. So you and I, we've talked about We work at Nauseum, we've, you know, gone through the financials. We often disagree on whether or not WeWork is a good business, whether it has potential. I I know you think the business model is still flawed, stock price won't go anywhere. And while I don't disagree given its history, I do believe WeWork has potential. So two things. One, I do think they'll be able to renegotiate a lot of their long-term leases. That's number one. Two, The total number of employers offering permanent work-from-home options, it continues to grow. Every week, there are at least a couple of new companies that are saying, we want to give our employees flexibility. However, while they're ditching this pricey office space, they need some temporary or some smaller solution. And I do think WeWork can offer that.
1: Yeah. So before I drop some knowledge on you on the other side of the case, Mike, I do want to point out that when I was going through WeWork's presentation, I was very impressed by a couple of things. One, they have already renegotiated a bunch of those leases from month to month to to 12 months or longer. So they are providing a little more stability in their cash flows. I I like that. I like that they are moving to more enterprise level contracts where it's not these individual one-to-one contracts. I I think that's a, a smart move. I think they are looking to take advantage of the entire time horizon, as in when the workday is over, they are looking to expand in events like weddings or corporate functions. I think that makes a lot of sense. But to me, the business model is still pretty flawed. We work leases on a relatively short-term time frame to their customers, and they lease that particular space for a much longer term horizon. And so even though they are doing a good job having longer term leases, they're still going to get caught up in a real estate cycle which happens like clockwork every 10 years. So, what do you think about that, Mike? Is that valid?
0: Totally valid. And we have to remember this company is not IPOing at, you know, a billion dollar valuation, 2, 3 billion even. I think it's it was at 9.7 billion. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. That is just Listen, you can't lose $3.1 billion in 2019 and another $3 billion in 2020 and then just say, eh, you know what, I think we're worth $9 billion. And I know it's down from the $47 billion where SoftBank originally tried to IPO WeWork. And so I just think, listen, I'm not touching WeWork until it can turn a profit for at least four consecutive quarters, because otherwise, what's their alternative when they need to raise more cash? Secondary yeah. offering,
1: potentially. Yeah. What I do like is that the going public via the SPAC is giving them $1.3 billion at a $9.5 market cap. That puts them down to around $7.5 in enterprise value when you back out the cash. And so that gives them a multiple of three times sales, which I think isn't that bad for a company in this type of market. One of the things to your point, Mike, in terms of considering WeWork is... Usually, when a company has the stain of some function where they were a bad actor or their CEO was acting out, a lot of people don't want to touch them just from the high level, like for specifically Adam Newman, I mean, the stories about Adam Newman are endless and Based on that, I almost had a bad taste in my mouth where I didn't even think about WeWork. But almost to that point is those are the companies where they have really big upside, where their turnaround stories are super successful because you don't think about them. And investors come into their stock at the end of the game. You can think Uber as another example. And so to that point, I, I do think WeWork is is worth looking at, but I, I still wouldn't touch it, Mike. Same here. And I
0: can't help but think SoftBank owning, I want to say it's 73% of WeWork. I can't help but think they just want this off their books. Doesn't matter. Get rid of it. And this is an unprofitable company. Listen, if I'm SoftBank, I'm saying I just need to get rid of this. If I'm WeWork, I'm thinking I just want to stay private for a little bit longer so I can take what looks like a $3 billion loss and get that I don't know, maybe to a billion, maybe to half a billion. And I feel like then you can start to see this trajectory towards becoming profitable. Otherwise, it just looks too early. But nonetheless, I digress. Lance, let's move into the mailbag because we have quite a few questions. I wanna cover at least two, maybe three today. So the first question is, I'm considering moving from New York to another part of the country. My salary will likely make it easier for me to afford a home now that I'm leaving a larger city. Should I consider leaving New York in
1: which states provide the best real estate investment opportunity? It's a great question. And I currently live in South Florida. And so it has been a very easy sell for my friends in the Northeast coming to Florida for a weekend and saying, wow, why did I not move to Florida all these years ago? Florida is a great place to live. I encourage anybody to come down. But the mass exodus from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, Maryland, all the Northeast states coming to Florida is pushing up real estate to insanely high levels. And I do have this one stat, which I think is fascinating. And I want to get your take on it, Mike, is that according to data obtained from the United States Postal Service, over 300,000 households requested a forwarding address to places outside of New York. Of those households, 13,000 had a forwarding address in either Palm Beach County Broward County and Miami-Dade County, which is South Florida. And 13,000 is a lot. I feel like it's it's higher and and the trend is still going. But Mike, what's your, what's your impression? Do you see real estate climbing for, for an extended period of time? I do. I think everybody's thinking,
0: okay, I can now work from home. I can relocate from these major cities, have a better cost of living arrangement. But on the other hand, It's just so difficult when you're trying to buy a home and there are five other offers, there are a dozen other offers. I feel like every home that goes on the market, they have multiple offers. I was reading a CNN article the other day and it said, one home, I can't recall the state, but they had 87
1: offers within the first week that it was on the market. Mike, you think that's crazy? There was a Business Insider article that just came out. A $400,000 house in California got 122 offers in two days. Love
0: it. And that's why, you know, you think, okay, I'm gonna ditch the big city. I'm gonna move out to a better part of the country. And then you realize, wow, I can probably buy one, but I'm going up against, you know, 40 other cash offers. It's just, it's a brutal market right now. It
1: really is. Yeah. I can attest because my wife and I are looking for a house right now. We found a house that we love, it was reasonably priced. All things considered, it was still listed well above the appraisal value, but it was within our range. And in 24 hours, there were six offers when we made the bid and our realtor reached out to the seller's realtor and another five offers came in. So there were 11 offers within 24 hours and that's just the market we're in for all the reasons you considered. Um, So yeah, it's, it's definitely a seller's market. There's not enough supply coming on and real estate has got a long, long runway to go. So... With that being said, let me move on to the next reader question. I'm considering making my first angel investment, but I'm struggling to pull the trigger after looking at several startups. Do you have any suggestions for identifying great companies? Yes. I tend to take a long, hard look at three things. Again, everybody has their
0: different investment thesis. I strongly consider everybody, especially when you're investing in early stage companies, to really know why you're investing but I do have three things that I think are really important. First one is, what is the size of the market? And specifically, what is the opportunity for this company to become meaningfully larger than it is today? So if I'm looking out 10 years, can that company take its revenue from $500,000 annual recurring revenue today to, let's say, 25 or $100 million? That's kind of where I'm looking. Second is, does the company's position in the market gain strength as it scales, because that's really important. So in other words, when they achieve scale, will it prohibit other companies from entering the space? Airbnb is a great example, strong network effects, and that as they increase the number of renters and properties on the platform, it becomes more difficult for new entrants to actually take market share. Another example is LinkedIn. Does anyone have a chance at building a competitor to LinkedIn? It's unlikely, and therefore companies are rarely emerging to contest LinkedIn. And third, I assess risk factors. And that is what are some likely hurdles the company may face? Do those become immovable objects potentially that could impede their success? Um, Again, those are really hard to predict, but it's always a good exercise to poke holes in the business model. And lastly, Lance, you and I know this really well, because it's what we try to practice and preach the most, which is you have to remain incredibly patient, especially when you're investing in early-stage companies. Literally, for me, everything needs to be an overwhelming yes for me to even consider it as an investment.
1: Yeah, that was, that was really great insight. And I, I think that makes total sense. And I'm really glad we were able to answer that question. I do think discipline is critical, as you mentioned, because most startups fail. It's well over 90%. If you're investing at the angel or seed stage, you're likely going to invest in a company that fails. So having and looking at those three things that you called out is super, super important. And it's really just a volume game. You're probably not going to hit a home run on your first investment, which is why you want to really diversify and make several. So you can have that one home run or grand slam make up for the 90% of investments that fail. So it really is just a volume game. Exactly. I think my biggest regret was
0: writing more larger checks and fewer deals initially versus spreading my money around and placing more bets. And no matter what asset class, we both know Lance, diversification is key there. And so, okay, Lance, I think we're going a little bit over time. So I want to wrap things up here. I know we only answered two questions, but we'll try to answer more during our next happy hour. Until then, happy investing.